0: Part 5. The Many-Coloured Place Chapter 31. Crabapple Under the archway of the graveyard in Arda, Kit handed Leah the flowers that she had taken from the breakfast table, their stems wrapped in tinfoil over damp cotton wool. She stopped in front of a plain headstone, and bent down to take a vase of dead flowers from the grave. I just want to rinse this out. They stood beside a ruined church, roofless and almost visible under a mass of ivy. The graves around it seemed very old, their stones ground down like ancient teeth. There were more recent graves on the other side of the pathway, full Celtic crosses and newish marble headstones with lettering in gold. The clouds gathered gloomily above them. Kit returned with fresh water and arranged the flowers under the headstone. Leah read the inscription, In loving memory of Margaret Reardon, Carmoil. You must have been very young when she died. I was seven. Kit sat down on the edge of the grave and wrapped her arms around her knees. I think that's why I feel so sorry for Thomas. I know what it feels like to lose your mum. They sat, looking out over the ruined church and the empty fields beyond. It began to rain, a soft, acidic drizzle that prickled the skin. Leah pulled her sleeves over her hands. No matter what people said, it was hard to believe that rainfall had no adverse effects on the human metabolism Given what it had done to the rest of the world, a young beaver rat, about the size of a rabbit, emerged from a pile of stones at the base of the church and surveyed them with twitching whiskers. It might have looked cute if you didn't know what they grew into. Kit threw a stone and it scurried back where it came from. The rain had become heavier. Leah climbed to her feet. Can we get out of the rain? It brings me out in a rash. They sheltered under a canopy of ivy. Kit was wearing a waxed jacket of the kind that inhabit the hallways of big houses. It was as pungent as an old dog. Dress the part, Martha always said, and everything else will fall into place. But it was hard to prepare for a journey into an unknown world. Leah was wearing what Martha called her ready-for-anything outfit. Jeans stretchy enough to run in, strong boots so that nobody can step on your toes, and a lumberjack shirt. She liked the way that it clashed with her hair. When the rain eased off, they walked back through the poisoned farm and Kit told her the names of the fields as they passed them. Ducker Meadow, the home pasture, the river field. The oat field. Lucy's wood. Every now and then, Kit's hand brushed against hers. There was a yew walk in the woods behind the house. A quiet tunnel of trees too old and toxic to have fallen foul of rainfall. Their branches entwined, creating a canopy of darkness and nothing grew in their shade. Here, you could see the outline of the ring fort more clearly than in the fields. It had begun to rain again. Kit hoisted herself into the scoop of a branch and swung her legs. I've always been a bit scared of yew trees, said Leah, climbing into the tree beside her. It's probably the graveyard thing. They were the trees of the dead, said Kit dreamily. They grew over the graves and fed on the vapour of corpses. But the yew tree held them in fragrant branches and its lattice of needles protected them from the rain. Leah lay back in the darkness, which no longer seemed so gloomy, and listened to the patter of raindrops above them. So much has changed, said Kit, so quietly that it was almost a whisper. But this has been the same since I was a little girl. Leah jumped down from the tree, her feet thudding on ground that was springy with buried roots. Let's go. Okay. Kit landed on the ground beside her. The walled garden was a thicket of dead trees entangled with knotweed. The rusty wrought iron gate tied into its sockets with binder twine. They climbed the gate, careful of its imminent collapse, and followed a rough path that someone had slashed through the wilderness. It was much warmer here than it was outside the wall. Leah could make out the outline of a pear tree, smothered by a noxious climbing plant. We grew peaches here once, Kit said, and artichokes, and we had cold frames for lettuce. The knotweed loves it now. Something smells dreadful. Skunk cabbage, down by the pond. It's worse in the autumn and it grows taller than I am. This is just a shortcut. Beyond the walled garden was a beech wood. Its trees were Dead. Their leaves mulched into the ground and the husks of old beech nuts crunched underfoot. There was a well in the heart of the wood, brimming with dark water under a hood of stone. They knelt on the ground beside it. This is the oldest thing, said Kit. Older than any of the houses, older than the ring fort. Nobody built it. People have protected it and kept it tidy, but it was here before any of them. Is the water safe to drink? Kit looked at her seriously. None of this is safe. Leah cupped her hands and drank. The water tasted of earth. Now, close your eyes, said Kit, taking her hand. Don't open them till I say so. Leah closed her eyes and had the sensation of a sudden loss of cabin pressure. It felt somewhere between falling backwards and falling asleep. It felt like medication kicking in. Then she was drifting on the cusp of sleep, her mind in transit between one place and the next. Then she wasn't anywhere at all. Leah, wake up. Leah lay on the ground and looked up into Kit's anxious face. Are you okay? I think you fainted. I'm grand. Leah stretched luxuriantly in a coppery drift of beech leaves that crinkled beneath her. What was it we drank? Kit looked relieved. Just well water, but it's a very old well. The day was warmer now and the clouds had cleared to a bright blue sky. Kit had taken off the smelly jacket. She was wearing a pink gingham shirt with short sleeves, framed by beech leaves of impossibly brilliant green. Leaves! Leaves! Leah sat bolt upright. All the beech trees were in leaf, lime green and silky. Wood sorrel clustered at their roots, their white flowers veined with pink and the stones around the well were covered in moss. Wood pigeons called to each other from the treetops and a small black beetle toiled between the dried leaves on the ground. All around her, Leah could hear the chirrup and hum of birds and insects. The woods had come back to life. I hadn't realised that everything had got so silent. She clambered to her feet and looked around. The trees seemed smaller than they had been. This is the same place, isn't it? Same place, said Kit. Different world. So this is where the eggs come from, and the flowers, and the butter? Yeah, said Kit with a grin. It's one of the perks of Dad being the gatekeeper. You could make a fortune on the black market if you were that way inclined. It had begun to rain again. Kit and Leah sheltered under a horse chestnut tree. Its wide branches swept down almost to the ground so that it formed a leafy tent around them. Its leaves whispered in the wind. A solitary bumblebee poked disconsolate around the spires. Their buds sticky but not yet in bloom. Look, Kit said, It's just about to flower. When it does, the whole tree will be a tower of bees. I don't remember the colours being this strong, ever. It's like the hues are the same, but somebody turned up the saturation. The colours are more intense here. Kit agreed. When you go back, everything seems a bit washed out. Leah sat down with her back to the tree trunk and closed her eyes. Rain pattered on the canopy of leaves. She could hear the hum of insects and birds' song. A blackbird was whistling somewhere in the woods. Wood pigeons cooed melodiously through the trees, and far in the distance a cuckoo called. She scuffed the dry earth between the tree roots with her hand, disturbing a small beetle which scuttled for the shelter of a pile of twigs. You don't realize what's being lost when you're losing it so gradually, or when it's just something small, like a beetle. That doesn't seem to matter much. This must have been going on for centuries, all the species dying off. Before rainfall, before we were even born. And now our world is broken and we can't fix it. Leah rested her cheek against the rough bark of the tree. It can't be fixed in our lifetime, but the earth is fine underneath. The planet, I mean. It just won't support so many humans. There'll be a lot less of us in 50 years. Isn't it weird the way everyone's carrying on as normal? Denial, said Kit. It's like we don't want to look at how dreadful it's going to be and normalising it as a way of avoiding it. I suppose it's better than panicking, although that'll probably happen too. But fast forward over the horribleness and imagine a world with much, much fewer people then it can begin to heal itself. That'll take a while. Centuries, said Kit cheerfully, but do you know what? Everything that was once in our world is here in this one. That's what my dad says anyway. Ildach is like a backup drive, so there's no reason we couldn't begin to replant it in a few hundred years with the agreement of the she. Only it won't be us said Leah no said Kit peering out through the leaves it won't be us come on the rain's stopped I have to meet someone Leah stood up dusting the earth from her jeans Kit was different here more confident her pink gingham shirt was wet with rain and the top two buttons were undone there was a drop of water in the hollow between her colour bands Leah ached with desire The world is ending and all I can think about is getting into somebody's knickers, she thought. Typical. Water ran down the back of her neck as she pushed out through the canopy into the sunlight. They walked through the woods to a very old bridge, covered in ivy and humped over a fast-flowing stream. Water rippled over the pebbles and the banks were overgrown with hawthorn bushes. Humans built the bridge, said Kit. They were here long before the she. She leant over the wall and broke off a twig of crabapple blossom. The flowers were white, stained with red. She stood on tiptoe to fix the sprig of blossom in Leah's hair. Eat a crabapple and say my name as you throw the core on the fire. If the pips explode, then my love is true. Only you have to wait until autumn. That long? Yes, said Kit. Up until then, it's anybody's guess. Do you think we'll still be around in six months' time? Oh, yes. Crabapple is the tree of immortality. Look, here's my friend. Someone was making their way down the path towards them. Full of misgivings, Lea peered through the trees. Is it one of the she? No, said Kit. She's lived here for a long time, but she's human. She's very shy, so let me do the talking. It was a small woman with dark hair, neatly braided under a white scarf, and a face that seemed oddly familiar. She was carrying a covered wooden pail in one hand, and a basket of eggs in the other. When she saw Leah, she hesitated, but Kit beckoned her on. Don't worry, Biddy, this is my friend. Leah, this is Biddy Keevan. The woman curtsied, ignoring Leah's outstretched hand. Pleased to meet you, miss. She handed the pail and the basket to Kit and turned to go. Wait, Kit said. Do you know where Ronan is? The hostage. The woman looked down at her bare feet. He's in the tower, Miss Kitty. The coup took him, but they brought him back last night. He's a prisoner now. Thank you, Biddy. I'll see you again tomorrow. Yes, Miss Kitty, God willing. Biddy bobbed her head and went back up the path through the woods. Well, said Kit, that complicates things. She put the eggs carefully down and sat on the parapet of the bridge. I'm not quite sure what to do now. Leah sat down beside her. She lifted the lid on the pail. It was full of milk. Are there a lot of humans in Eldahach? Well, not officially, but yes, that's how they manage without technology. There's a whole community of humans working here. The she say it's not slavery because they get paid, but what are they going to do with the money? They can't go back. All their families are dead and gone. So the she point of view is that humans in Ildachach have a sweet deal, but I don't like the way they're being deceived, especially Biddy. Kit scuffed the ground with the toe of her shoe. She's Thomas's mum. She was a dairymaid at Carmoyle. Leah remembered something that Trevor had said about people living longer in Ildahuk. She came here and lost her memory? Not exactly. People don't really lose their memories here. They just lose their sense of time. Biddy knows who she is and who Thomas is. And she still thinks she's going back to see him, only he's been dead since 1812. It's the saddest thing, and he can't move on. He's still at Carmoyle looking for his mum. What would happen if you told Biddy? "I don't know. We're not allowed to tell them it's a gatekeeper thing. Sometimes one of the humans comes to their senses and asks to go home, then we can take them through. But you're not the actual gatekeeper gatekeeper in waiting, said Kit. Same difference. The sun was getting low in the sky. We're going to have to find somewhere for you to sleep. I have to get back to Thomas, or he gets in a dreadful state. Night terrors. But Thomas... I know it's fucked up. It's beyond fucked up. But if I'm not there, then he won't let my dad get any sleep. Does that mean I have to stay here on my own? Yeah, said Kit regretfully. Gateways are managed by humans, but controlled by the she. Loads of rules that don't really make sense, but we have to go along with it. She frowned in concentration. Then her face cleared. I know. and built a hut beside the waterfall. You'll be safe there until the morning. The river tumbled over the crags at Glenistar, swollen by recent rains and splashed into a dark pool overgrown with rowans and birch. A heron stood motionless at the water's edge, looking like a scraggly hermit in meditation. And there, in a clearing beneath an oak tree, was Ronan's hut. Leah had been in plenty of buildings that Ronan had designed, but none that he had actually built, and the hut reminded her of the things that he used to make out of Lego. It was circular with a domed roof, and built without mortar, the stones held in place by their own weight. Each one was chosen with immense care, shaped and placed in harmony with those above, below and on either side. The effect was almost musical. There was no door, but a heavy curtain hung over the entrance. Leah pushed it aside and stepped inside. She let the curtain fall behind her, and waited for her eyes to become accustomed to the light. The single, small window faced east, presumably to catch the morning sun. Above her, the corbelled roof rose in a dome, the stones gradated in colour and form so that they appeared to spiral upwards. Despite herself, Leah was impressed. She knew enough about engineering to realise how difficult this was to achieve. It must have taken him ages. The floor was earth strewn with dried leaves, and there was a sleeping shelf lined with furs. Below it was a much narrower alcove that Leah recognised as a small enclosed space. This was definitely Ronan's hut. What astonished her was its lack of adornment. For a start, there wasn't any stuff. There was a small shelf above the entrance, with a copper cooking pot and a wooden bowl and spoon. Both looked as though they'd been turned on a lathe, but beside that there was nothing. What are you expecting? She asked herself. He didn't have time to pack a toothbrush. Apart from the rhythm of the stones, which, she had to admit, was almost transcendental, the hut was entirely undecorated. This was out of character. Ronan, as a designer, was decorative in the extreme. He loved to embellish. But yet, when Leah closed her eyes to get a sense of the place, it did not feel as though he had been unhappy there. Ildaka has changed him, she thought. He is not the same person that he was before. She remembered the two years of searching and waiting, of lying to people about her finances and paying off debts that she hadn't accrued. Suddenly angry, she marched out of the hut. Kit was waiting under the oak tree. Everything okay? No, Leah shouted. Everything is most definitely not okay. You knew that Ronan was here. You even knew about this hut. Have you been here before? No, said Kit. Biddy told me. But you knew. I didn't know he was your brother. How about the missing persons campaign? You must have seen that. Kit shook her head, tears starting in her eyes. Nothing. We knew he was here, but we assumed it was with his permission. A she-hostage has to agree to be a hostage. It's part of the arrangement. And we didn't hear anything about a missing person. Leah recalled Trevor's theory that the media campaign to find Ronan had been hushed up. It was true that very few people knew that he was missing. That was what had enabled her to keep the business going. Her anger evaporated. I'm sorry, Kit, she said. It's not your fault. Kit still looked upset. Leah put her arms around her. I really am sorry, she said with remorse. I have a dreadful temper, but it's no excuse. The light was fading and an owl hooted somewhere in the woods. I'm rubbish at relationships, Leah said. I don't want to mess this up before we've even started. Kit pressed her face into the collar of the lumberjack shirt. Fucking redheads, she muttered. But she returned the hug. I have to go in a minute. I'll be back in the morning. Will you be okay? Yes, said Leah. I'm hungry though. Can I take a couple of eggs? Kit filled the wooden bowl with milk and left three of the eggs beside it. Then she lay down with Leah on the stone shelf. They kissed until Leah found her fingers playing with the button on Kit's shirt. We can't, Kit said regretfully. There's a curfew. She raised herself up on one elbow. Wait for me here. Don't go anywhere. The she are different from us. They're dangerous and they don't know that you're here. Got that, said Leah, kissing her one last time. Don't worry, I'll be grand. When Kit had gone, she broke the three eggs into the milk, stirred it with a spoon and drank it. Raw eggs hadn't been a problem for her since living in Japan. Then, determined not to be intimidated by the strangeness of it all, she went down to the pool and washed the utensils in the cold water, scrubbing them out with sand. The heron was gone, and a thin crescent moon rose over the treetops. She wondered how long it would take for her to lose her sense of time. Very cautiously, Leah summoned the glyph. Nothing appeared. Then she heard a voice inside her head. I'm here. I can't see you. This is a different world, said the glyph stating the obvious auditory functions only how long have I been here? four hours thirty-two minutes and seventeen seconds Leah breathed a sigh of relief as long as I am in Ildahak please will you tell me how long I have been there first thing in the morning when I wake up last thing in the evening before I go to sleep affirmative said the glyph Leah curled up in the nest of furs and inhaled her brother's distinctive smell. Their mother blamed it on the fact that, between the ages of four and six, he had refused to eat anything other than marmite.